from the chairs in front of you. The reading tonight is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20, and is found on page 1177. Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Do please keep your uh, Bibles open. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6. I'm just going to read a bit from John chapter 14 before we start. And then I'll pray and then we'll begin. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another comforter to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Let's pray. Father, as we come before your word this evening, as we think about what you would want us to know. Lord, our hearts are heavy again, knowing all the evil that has taken place, not just in the last 24 hours, but around the world over recent weeks and months. Lord, we need you. We need your spirit. And we need you to teach us this evening. We ask that you graciously would do that. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now we're going to be taking a bit of a break today from our normal mini-series that we've been doing for the last uh, few weeks, looking at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 6. And as it's the first Sunday in the month, what we've been doing this year is we've been, uh, with our memory verse, praying, Lord, teach us to pray. We're going to spend this evening looking at prayer. And if we look down in our passages in Ephesians chapter 6, that little phrase that Paul uses at the beginning of verse 18, and pray in the Spirit. 
on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. Today we're thinking about that phrase, to pray in the Spirit. Paul will be showing us that praying in the Spirit comes from having our eyes opened to the way that the world really is and the way that the world works. For some of us, um, when we became a Christian, we realised that far from being the good person that we thought we were, well, we recognised in a whole new way there was stuff in us which was bad. Stuff in us that when we looked honestly at ourselves in the mirror, we knew wasn't right. Stuff inside us that we knew was wrong, was evil. So for any Christian, it should not come as a surprise that we end up seeing that same kind of evil on the streets of our capital. It doesn't mean that we're not horrified. It doesn't mean that we're not appalled or or even moved to action. Those are all good things. But we are not so totally surprised by it. Not so surprised by the depths to which sin can drown people. There but for the grace of God go I. This passage in in Ephesians chapter 6, in light of what we've seen last night and what our own hearts portray to us, we see three things. We see firstly the, the danger that we all face. We see how we can fight against it. And we see what the outcome will be. Firstly then, the danger that we face. On a slightly lighter side, my sons are huge fans of the new Peter Rabbit uh, TV programme. And it's it's all sort of computer animation. And uh, there are three main uh, bad characters in this. It's slightly predictable each episode, I feel. But there were were three of these these main characters. There's Mr. Todd, the well-spoken fox. There's Tommy Brock, the grumpy badger. He's always annoyed because his his pot of worms has been stolen. And there's Old Brown, the owl, who will suddenly sweep down and try and go for the rabbits. And each time something bad happens in in this program, it will be because of one of these characters has come along and done their old tricks. Well, just like my my boy's uh, TV program, Peter Rabbit, the Bible teaches us that Christians, we also have three main enemies. These three main enemies are the world, the flesh and the devil. Now we've been looking at at the flesh, or as Phil was teaching us, the sarks, um, in the last few weeks in our evening service, this old self, our old selves. The sinful part of us which is nailed to the cross. And we're not going to look at that bit tonight, not the flesh. But what we see in this passage, Paul describing, is the other two. We see the devil and the world. Paul shows us that we need help to understand and to be protected from these enemies. This is why he's telling us about them. And the first enemy he tells us about is the devil. Look down in your Bibles at 
Just at the end of verse 11, he talks about this. He's saying that so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, Paul is saying that the devil is real. He's not something made up by, uh, by people who produce uh, sort of stuff for Halloween. He's not made up by the church in the Middle Ages. The devil is real. He is a real spiritual being. Now, some people find that hard to believe. They don't, they don't like the idea of a devil, even if they believe in God. But Paul doesn't find that a problem. Paul tells us that the devil, apart from being uh, made up, he is actually a schemer. He's a plotter. And these schemes, he uses to try and lead people away from the truth. Jesus in the Gospels also calls the devil the father of liars. So we know that the way the devil works is by twisting the truth. He's kind of perverting the truth and trying to change it. And it becomes a lie. It becomes an untruth. Like, like false religions. Or insisting that there is something or, or someone apart from God that we just can't live without. The devil's schemes are anything that turn us away from enjoying Jesus as the ultimate treasure in our life. But his attacks, they're also personal. Look down at the end of verse 16. Paul talks about the flaming arrows of the evil one. Such a good picture. The flaming arrows of the evil one. It really makes sense. Because the devil hates Christians. He is like that archer with that flaming arrow, trying to get near a Christian to fire. And once a flaming arrow, if you imagine an arrow, which is pretty terrifying, but imagine if it's on fire, that's even more terrifying. Once it goes in, it doesn't just hurt, but it starts spreading fire, fire all over you. His attacks don't give up. They are vicious and they are personal. When George Vera was, was speaking here last year, he spoke to us, and one thing that, that really stuck with me, he said that he thinks that so many Christians are deterred from, from serving Christ in the world because of guilt and shame or, or something in their past. Guilt and shame that the devil loves to highlight, loves to rub in our faces, and saying, you want to serve Christ? Look at yourself. His attacks are incredibly personal. The Bible says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the devil lies and says, yes there is. Yes there is. Maybe for, for others there aren't, but there are for you. The devil hates seeing Christians make a difference in the world. And that's why he schemes and tries to stop us. That's why he's our enemy. Well, the second enemy we see then is the world. This is our other enemy. Not as in planet Earth. It's not like this planet that we live on is our enemy somehow. But rather the dark powers that are at work within it. 
Look at verse 12. This makes it really clear what we're up against. Paul says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Despite what our newspapers, or what TV, or what our Facebook feed says, political powers, even this week as we think about who to vote for, political powers are not the be-all and end-all. They are not the most significant force in this world, either for good or for evil. Paul is saying that, that behind the evil we see in the world are spiritual forces that we don't see, that are more powerful. That's why we need to have our eyes opened to their existence so that we're not confused, so that we're not shocked when evil things happen. Now, there is a balance to be had here. How much we, we think about these kind of things. Firstly, we are not to just be unconcerned and kind of shrug them off as if they've got no relevance to, to anything, whatever. Oh, that's just something that Paul was saying. We don't need to really worry about that very much. That's, that's too far in one direction. Because otherwise, Paul wouldn't be telling us about these things. But I think the other danger is to fall into this idea of thinking that we need to get so engrossed with them and understanding what, what spiritual force is working where and spending all our time on on search engines, looking at conspiracy theories. That's too far the other way. You see, by God's grace, he doesn't actually give us all the information about what's going on in that, in that realm. But he does give us enough. Enough for us to know that whatever spiritual power causes this evil in the world, we have a king who is more powerful than all of them. In the Gospels, we see Jesus' power over evil. One example, in, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is casting a demon out of a possessed man. Jesus says, be quiet, come out of him. And the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. Jesus is absolutely powerful over every spiritual force. Do not doubt that for one second when we see evil in the world. Jesus is still more powerful. But this doesn't mean that any time we do something wrong, we can somehow just, just place the blame on these evil forces. Oh, it wasn't really me. The, the devil made me do it. But it does, and please understand this, it does mean we understand how much we need protection. How much we need this armour. Paul says it's not even going to get easier for us. He says, actually, it's, it's probably going to build up and get worse. In verse 13, he says, when the day of evil comes, this means we need to be prepared for a battle. It's not just going to go away. Praying in the Spirit. To pray in the Spirit, we need to start by knowing 
how helpless we are. That's got to be the first thing. We need to start by knowing how helpless we are. We've seen the danger that we face. Now Paul tells us how we fight against it. And he starts by telling us that actually, and I hope this comes as a relief to a lot of people, we don't do it alone. We don't do it alone. Paul is speaking to the whole church. In fact, we don't get it in in here, we don't see it clearly in the English, but, but he is using plural terms every time. He is talking collectively. We all fight together. We're in this together. And firstly, he starts telling us about the posture we need to have. Think a little bit about how you're sitting now, your posture. I can see some of you are slightly funny angles, probably not too great for your back. Think about your, the posture that you're, you're in at the moment, or maybe when you were standing to sing. Where Paul tells us the kind of posture we need to have in our Christian lives. He says it in verse 11, he says it again in verse 13 and verse 14. Basically, uh, Paul says it four times. Paul tells us we need to stand. Don't worry, I won't get you to stand at the moment. You can wait. Paul says we need to stand. This is because when the devil and these other forces in the world attack, we must stand firm where we are. We're not going to budge an inch. We're not going to fall down or, or compromise in any way. We will not budge on what has given us life. And that is the gospel. We will not downplay the truth that Jesus is Lord, that he died for our sins, that he rose for our justification, and that he is coming back to judge and to bring his church to heaven. We must stand. We may face mocking. We may lose stuff or people. We may even be killed. Let me ask you, are we committed as a church to stand for Jesus? I know as we're gathered here with other Christians, we feel safe. And on the Sunday, we want to say, yes, amen. We are that kind of church. But what about tomorrow? Or this week? In school? Or at work? Or at home? Are we prepared to stand for Jesus? And for what we believe? Not just this week, but every week. Even if it means hard consequences will follow. It will be no bad thing if we stand for Jesus. But if you are going to stand, that the Bible says you will need armour. And in verses 14 to 17, Paul tells us that what we need to fight this battle is the full armour of God. Now I'm going to, there's, there's a list here, I'm going to rattle through them fairly quickly. But what Paul is basically doing is he's building up a picture of this soldier And just like a soldier, each different part of their armour has its own purpose. And I want us to imagine us putting this on as a church. Firstly, he tells us that it starts with our transformed characters as Christians. In verse 14, Paul talks about the belt of truth. 
This is a commitment to, to clothe ourselves with integrity. Once the truth of the gospel comes to us, it changes us into people who do away with falsehood, with untruths. We don't carry on lying like we once used to. Or we don't carry on letting lies define us how we once may have done. Rather we speak the truth kindly to one another and to God and to ourselves. Next he tells us is the breastplate of righteousness. So this is not just a godly inner life, but a godly outer life too, in the things that we do, and the things that can be seen by others, so that we can't be accused of doing wrong. Now this is not the same as perfection, but rather this is a growing godliness, becoming more like Jesus. Then Paul goes on to describe footwear. These are, um, look in verse 15, he says, fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Believing in the good news of Jesus is what drives our steps in this life. This is what he's getting at. It should be what, what gets us up each morning. Pray that it would be. Pray that it would be for me, that that would be my motivation each morning. Helps us to be ready to share it with others. This good news of peace with God. Next, Paul says, well, have a look with me quickly in verse 16, down in the passage. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, the kind of shield that Paul would have in mind is kind of this four-foot-high Roman shield. You may have seen them when you were at school. They were kind of these rectangular things. Uh, They were able to protect a whole person and actually link together, this is an interesting idea, link together they could protect a whole army, both from um, in front and from above. They could protect a whole army. But but Paul isn't talking about a real shield here. He's talking about a shield of, of faith. The strength of this shield doesn't rely on how strong our faith is, but on how strong the one our faith is in. That's where we get our confidence from. Our faith is in God's strength. And out in front of us, like a shield, means that the devil can't get through to us. Those, those fiery arrows can't pierce the shield. Then we see the helmet of salvation. This means that knowing that we are saved, knowing that, that our sins have been dealt with and we are adopted by God, is part of our Christian armour. This reminds us that we are, we are free from sin's penalty, that we are free from the wrath we deserved. But, but it also reminds us of the freedom we now have from sin. That we are no longer sin's slave. And finally, we are equipped with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness... Do you know what he used to to deflect uh, the temptations from Jesus? Yeah. He used scripture. He used God's word. Wielding it, just like Paul's saying, like a sword. And we hold in our hand that very same weapon. We need to learn to use it to defend ourselves from attack. 
We need to get to know our Bibles better. One of the best pieces of advice I got at Bible college was, guys, you need to know your Bibles better. Try and memorise passages so that when we are under attack, when we feel beaten down, we can use it to defend ourselves. Just like Jesus did. You see, we don't have to fear those other forces. We are safe from their harm when we put on the armour of God. Praying in the Spirit starts by knowing, firstly, how helpless we are, and we've seen that, and most secondly, what we need to stand firm, and we've seen that as well. That's how praying in the Spirit starts. And now we're going to see how we put this all into practice. Part of the ongoing battle for us, if you are a Christian here this evening, is how we pray. Paul says in verse 18 that we should pray in the Spirit. As Christians, we are the people who have the Holy Spirit live inside us. Not just individually, but as a whole church. So praying in the Spirit should be the most natural thing we could possibly do. The most natural thing. And just to clarify, I don't actually think that that Paul is necessarily talking about speaking in tongues in this particular passage. But what I do believe is that he is saying that as people who have the Holy Spirit... We should pray in line with him, in line with the Holy Spirit. Praying with total reliance on the Spirit's power and to lead us into all truth. And this is how he does it. Firstly, he gives us power for ongoing prayer. Have a look again at the first half of that uh, verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. The Spirit's power enables us to to keep on praying and asking God for help, even when we feel most under attack. Whether it's from from temptation within or from the outside world or from, from shame, whatever it is, the Spirit gives us the power to keep on praying. And actually you can see this firsthand in the persecuted church around the world. That there are people in these churches who are able to pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers, not because they are strong in themselves, but because the Spirit is giving them the power they need to meet and to pray together, despite persecution. In the face of those spiritual enemies, the Spirit gives us far greater power than they have. Paul says earlier in his letter to the Ephesians, the very same power as that which raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Secondly, then, praying in the Spirit means he leads us to an alertness in prayer. And look at the the second half of verse 18. Paul says, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. The Spirit gives us an awareness of the need of God's people. Whether it's those who 
who are grieving, those who are beaten down, or whether it's those who are rejoicing. By his spirit, he, he places their burdens on our hearts so that we may pray for our brothers and sisters with alertness, whether that's people here at BH, or whether that's for our mission partners, or whether that's for for Christians around the world. The Spirit leads us into seeing and listening to how people need to be prayed for. I encourage you, the next time someone shares something for prayer, Maybe that's after the service. Maybe that's this week in your small group or someone you see this week at work or at school. Next time someone asks you for prayer, remember this and please pray and ask the Spirit to help you to be alert to what they really need prayer for. Not in a rude and arrogant way, but just pray and ask for his help to be alert. Thirdly then, Praying in the Spirit means praying in line with the Spirit's will for gospel growth. How are these spiritual forces opposed to God going to be pushed back? How are we going to see, instead of more headlines filled with murder and violence and greed, more of people doing courageous acts for the glory of the Lord Jesus? Well, let's look at verses 19 and 20. Paul says, Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Even the Apostle Paul, even the Apostle Paul said, Pray for me, pray for me, that I may declare the gospel fearlessly. It's the good news of Jesus rescuing sinners like us from going to hell that will transform the world. That's how it transformed Paul. You can read about it in Acts chapter 8. That's what's going to change this world. And we need to pray for those who are responsible for sharing the good news. And that's all of us. That's all of us sat here this evening. But it also means that we should pray for our preachers, for our evangelists, for people who have a ministry, uh, a full-time or part-time ministry, uh, proclaiming God's word. And pray pray for us, pray for me, that we and that I would not hold back from preaching to you the whole gospel. We must pray in line with the Spirit's will that those we know at school or at work or in our families will come into the kingdom of God. Praying in the Spirit starts by knowing how helpless we are. And the thing is, on a day like today, we can feel pretty helpless. But in a few weeks' time, we might feel a bit more confident again. But we are helpless. Paul tells us that. We are helpless against these evil forces on our own. But we can stand firm to the end because he clothes us with his armour. 
So we pray. We pray in his spirit. Strengthened by his power. Led who to pray for. And in line with his will. Until the day when he returns to finish his work. Let's pray. O church, arise and put your armour on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. Lord, we pray to you that you would strengthen us by your power. You would help us to stand firm to the end. And we would do all this while praying in line with your Holy Spirit. Father, help us to live lives that bring you glory and that rely on you no matter what we face. Help us after everything to stand. Amen.